Have you ever secretly wished that you could grab a drink with your horse's vet to ask your most burning questions and hear the latest and greatest in the equine medical world? Welcome to The Barnyard, a podcast which brings you the inside scoop from equine professionals on what's new and has them excited. But with engaging stories from a day in the life of a vet, The Barnyard is full of all the fun and laughs as a chat with your best friend. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome veterinarian Dr. Aaron Trawick-Smith as our guest, who just so happens to also be a close personal friend. Dr. Aaron caught the veterinary bug at a young age and spent most of her time at the stable until attending Barnard College in New York City. While there, she volunteered at the Bronx Zoo's hospital and won an entrepreneurial scholarship for writing a veterinary business plan. She assisted with cancer research at MIT for a year before starting vet school at Tufts University while also working at the Smart Pack store. Dr. Erin has a particular fondness for event horses. When she isn't gelding donkeys, she is restoring her 1700s era home, riding her gorgeous horse, Queen Kona, or cleaning her beloved dog, Scarlet, who loves to cover her entire body in horse manure. I would like to announce, today I'm sampling cake bread seller Sauvignon Blanc because the Vino app told me I would like it. Do you? They weren't wrong. It's not like perfect, but it's pretty good for a California Sauvignon Blanc. What's your preferred Sauvignon Blanc? In well, usually New Zealand. New Zealand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Been trying to find a, a domestic comparable, and this is not bad. Not bad. Okay, ulcers, ulcers, ulcers. So, is there anything? within ulcer kind of identification and treatment that is has changed within the last you know couple years or is it all pretty much what we've known and done from prior years i think it's been solid for a couple of years when would you say it changed Mm. that question (laughs) i don't know because i i was a baby vet Um, I know that it's been in my career. Okay. That, so when I was a student, we didn't talk about ulcers the way that they do now. The way that we do now as a profession and the way that like uh, my associate was taught about them. I was not taught about them that way. So I think that's the separation into um, equine squamous gastric ulcers and glandular gastric ulcers and that's like a pretty distinct separation now and more and more people are becoming comfortable with that but uh, when I was a student which is longer ago now than it feels like it was uh, it really was just gastric ulcers. Can you um, define each of those for the neophytes like myself who might not know what those terms mean? Um, so there is a, a very distinct uh, delineation in a horse stomach, and it's called the margoplicatus that we look at. And if you've ever watched a gastroscopy, it's generally pointed out to you and it's like pretty clear. Um, but the part of the stomach that is oral to that or like towards towards the mouth up towards the esophagus and you know towards the face is the part of the stomach that does not itself produce acid and that 
we have for many years talked about as having gastric ulcers and that was kind of like the traditional gastric ulcer was that part because it's not like the the stomach acid is not as welcome there Mm -hmm. so that is comprised of like if you can imagine your own esophagus and if you, I don't know if you, have you ever seen an esophagus? <laughs> like my own esophagus? Have you ever seen like, like a dissection? Like, yeah, like in a dissection. No. Oh, okay. Well, you know, they're all kind of the same. I've seen the ones um, that you can buy for like a, a, a cow. Uh, can you buy cow esophagus for your dog? I've seen like a leatherify. <laughs> <laughs> that like smooth lining that goes through the esophagus kind of follows through into the stomach. And that's the part that, um, you know, that we always have, like when we think about human ulcers, it's, it's kind of similar. And, um, so then there's this whole section of the horse stomach. If it's like this, you know, you think of it like a vessel, um, that is going down into the intestines and down towards the rectum, uh, that, is the, the it produces the acid and it's a very different cellular structure and so that is the glandular portion of the stomach and we didn't use to specify whether there were problems there so there's not i i'm not certain if this has changed but if it has it was very recent that um, there is like a pretty clear outline for grading ulcers in the um in the non-glandular in the squamous portion and there is not nearly as clear of an outline for grading when you find them ulcers in the glandular portion we just sort of recognize that there's a problem and and take a picture grading like severity so like a you're doing okay b you're not doing as great right because that should be on a report like a lot you know a lot of times ulcers are gastric ulcers are part of an insurance claim so you you want to grade them and describe them in that way so that it's more standard for for insurance and for records um but the glandular is not it's just not very precise i see what about it can't be made precise it's just you can't really see it well enough no it's just newer and 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 really to have like a grading skill you need a paper that says we've looked at all these stomachs and we found this range of problems and grade one equals this and grade two equals this, etc. And I don't believe that we have that yet. The Barn Yarn is brought to you by Stable Select. Think of Stable Select as a matchmaker for your horse. Stable Select is a new online community which connects stables and trainers with boarders and students. So each finds the perfect fit, whether that be a companion home or a premium boarding facility. Stable Select also revolutionizes the administrative process for equine professionals, saving them valuable time with an end-to-end platform that manages everything from marketing and communication to contract exchange and payment processing. What's more is that Stable Select is committed to giving back to the equine community by donating 15% of profits to horse rescues. Become a member now for free. Visit www.stableselect.com. So I have a question about, and now I'm Googling. Okay, squamous. Oh, you're Googling. (laughs) Well, because I can't remember what you said about the two kind of ulcers, squamous and. Well, I think it's 
It's squamous. Squamous, sorry. Which is like, well, you've probably, you've, I'm sure you've heard squamous cell carcinoma. A lot of humans get that. Okay. I guess you haven't. <laughs> sorry, I'm hopeless. No, it's fine. Um, it's a, a pretty common type of tumor, not even specifically specific to horses, um, because... Well, I apologize. What was your question about the squamous cells going to be? So if I understand correctly, you were saying it used to be just gastric ulcers, hard stop. There was no differentiation between what type it was. And now there's the identification of it's this one versus that one. So my question is, once you've figured out where exactly the ulcer or ulcers exist, what is the difference in the treatment as a result of where you identify that it is? So... Omeprazole, which we use for human and horse ulcers, um, is less effective at treating the glandular ulcers. So that's where we bring in one or the other, or sometimes both in sequence um, of sacralfate, Mm -hmm. which you had experience with. I know that you Mm -hmm. did. Um, And then the alternative is um, misoprostol. And so those are kind of the two drugs that we use for the secondary portion. I see. So you talked about the different uh, grades of the ulcer and the treatment is, like is the length of treatment um, correlated with the grade or how, how is the grade influence anything? Anecdotally, I would say no, because I there are horses who get a gastroscopy seem to be not that bad, get treated for a month, because always the month is the, you know, the typical, it's what, what it's, what uh, omeprazole or gastrogard is labeled for. Um, and you'll go back to do the recheck because if you're, again, if you're doing insurance, I mean, you should anyway, like in an ideal world, you keep checking these horses until they're better. You'll go back and, and sometimes they're worse and you're like, oh my God, how? <laughs> really? Yes, they get worse, and then that's where you're talking about management issues. And I do think more over the last couple of years and and overall conversation about gastric ulcers of any type, we're realizing and talking about more that like so much of this is management-based mm-hmm. that sure, we have a drug that can help us, but if you're not taking away XYZ factor or if you are actually making one worse you know, you're not going to solve the problem. Um, but I was going to say, I do think there's case selection as well coming into play because the horses that end up getting a gastroscopy are the often the very challenging cases. Mm-hmm. Right. Probably more likely to not heal successfully, um, whether that's because they have a very severe case and it just doesn't heal in a month or because they have a complicated management case a lot of people still are not interested in gastroscopy and so you you know you don't get to that point until oftentimes they've tried to treat without imaging um and so i think necessarily the cases that you get to image are sometimes not the typical cases on the imaging side this is again anecdotal but i remember um this was, let's call it 12 years ago that the, 
something around there, 10 to 12 years ago, um, the person that it was full leasing Wiley what suspected he had ulcers and her main veterinary practice was Fairfield. That was like her main vet. And she said that they couldn't do it on farm. He was going to have to be shipped to Fairfield to do it. And so fast forward where you're like, Oh, Heather can come do it. She'll be there, you know, whatever. Yeah. So that was cool to you. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, um, I mean, it's a, we like a, three meter scope traditionally just it's an endoscope it's just there are many types of endoscopes um and it's a longer one than we would need for most other things because um to get into a horse stomach is you know different than getting into a dog stomach or different than doing like a an upper airway scope which is a pretty Mm -hmm. short distance Mm -hmm. um so you know that's the price of the actual gastroscopy to has come down to my knowledge as well so people are afraid of it or don't want to pay for it for reason you know for a variety of misconceptions i think um but it it would be so great if we were just imaging horses much more routinely right and at what point of sort of chronic colics would you, what would be the, maybe the symptoms of the colic that like if there's a certain case that you automatically think this is caused by ulcers rather than, you know, something random like they ate sand or something? Yeah. I mean, I guess to me, it's like a potentially dramatic, but more of a frequent short-term sometimes food associated kind of antsiness Mm -hmm. but definitely Mm -hmm. if you're talking about a colic scenario you know once you've got a couple incidents Mm -hmm. even if you've if they've been like recoverable it's still something of interest it's Mm -hmm. nearly always something of interest um it comes up to me much more often in a behavioral or performance way Mm -hmm. but I just like there you just don't you just don't know so another question that behavioral kind of attributes associated with um with that like normally people think lead one to assume that it's an ulcer is that then normally with one type of ulcer over the other like no do symptoms it's it could be either no i don't think so at all yeah i don't think we have any evidence of that because there's horses that are probably just more stoic than others so some are going to be really dramatic about it and you're going to be like you have ulcers because you're being a total wench and you know then other ones it's often not the case like Right. You know, there, and I'm, I'm usually kind of very, I, I try to be very open-minded in the sense that like most presentations of animal there or set of symptoms, there are, are a lot of things that could be going on. Right. Um, it's, and I think that we often overload in our minds the, the, the number of times that things present a certain way and then like this equals this disease process because it's presumptive because a lot of the time we're not getting a diagnosis um on you know in an ambulatory environment as long as the horse gets better we 
we often don't get a diagnosis, especially when it comes to intestinal or behavioral problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think we make assumptions, but I think that there's so many different complicated things that go on in horse bodies that we're never aware of. Um, and so it would just be so nice in so many of these cases that people are like, oh, it's just not right. Or like, oh, it's just grumpy or whatever mm-hmm. to, to get more gastric imaging because it's a, a player in tons of scenarios. I'm sure of it. And it's um, maybe not the only issue, but it's definitely a player. And then there are times that there are horses I would hang my hat that, this, of course, this is ulcers. This is classic. This is like half to be ulcers and you and they're clean Hmm. and then you know to dig deeper into something different but it's really hard to to know to dig deeper into those other things if they are also subtle what do they tend is there usually like if not this then that it or is it just then you're in the realm of complete like "Ah, i don't know sometimes complete complete <laughs> disarray. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I, I think to me, ocean of possibilities. Absolutely. That like, you know, you really do need like some kind of 3d imaging that doesn't exist for horse abdomens. <laughs> um, but I think for me clinically, it's some version of back pain, some version of, I am resistant to being ridden or being saddled or being handled. And, you know, I think back pain is another hugely variable thing. And so it's kind of, well, okay, if you've got this unit and there's pain somewhere in this vertical realm, <laughs> where is it? And if it's not at the bottom, maybe it's at the top. <laughs> we, we went low, didn't work, go high. <laughs> this idea that still persists that a stressy seeming horse or a mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. anxious horse is going to have ulcers and a, a quiet, happy seeming calm horse will not is like pretty completely false because as you say, some of them are quite stoic and some right. of them it's like, you know, it's like a, a level of um, compensation where if it's a mild, and maybe not even, but presumably a, a more mild problem over a very long period of time versus, um, you know, like something that's about to rupture over a right. short period of time. But I don't, we don't really talk these days about ulcers that we won't be able to heal. It's just really, yeah, it's just a matter of the cost. Right. And what will be associated, like how many sort of rechecks you need to actually get there and what changes need to be made to get there. But, um, well, cause you mentioned that you go in and recheck after giving like gastroguard and then they're still like yeah. the same or worse. So what are the other things that are sort of, you mentioned feed, but like, what are the other recommendations for a horse with ulcers? Predominantly that. And then obviously like, yes, stress, whatever we can interpret of of stress in that horse and that i think is highly variable right um but for the most part it's feed quality whatever you know components of the feeding program also frequency um social life work uh water availability which usually is not a huge issue but all these things are traveling are factors um you know, and yes, drug use, NSAID use, other drugs as well, but predominantly NSAID use. Um, you know, I think it's kind of like, let's peel everything back. 
Mm -hmm. and then reintroduce. Let's get this to like the healthiest, most minimal program that we can figure out. And then, but I kind of always believe in that anyway. (laughs) Right, right. You know, there's a lot of talk about alfalfa now and alfalfa having higher calcium and being a better buffer, um, longer maintenance of a higher pH in the stomach after eating than some other haze. And if your horse can handle alfalfa, great, feed it lots of alfalfa, but certainly there are horses that people have concerns for other reasons about feeding alfalfa. Um, I mean, I have to say, like, in my caseload, there haven't been that many, like, morbidly obese, uh, (laughs) laminitic, ulcery horses that I've met. But, like, I'm sure they're there. We're just not diagnosing them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe they're there because we're trying to starve them. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean like that's, it's really, it's coming down to starch, you know, we're talking about fatty acids, we're talking about starch percentage or like how many grams of starch out of the total diet you're feeding. In treatment case, you're, you're adding a layer of the actual medication. Management wise, yes. You, you pretty much like slam dunk omeprazole, gotta put that in there (laughs) for treatment. And I... I am so, like, I just don't know when it's going to end that people are like, oh, I traded my horse for ulcers. I gave it, you know, like, U-Guard or I'm trying to, like, uh, there are so many supplements that are, you know, gastric, like, preventative supplements. And I treated it. No, you did not. (laughs) We just need to follow the rules about treatment. But prevention and corresponding to treatment, great. Let's play around with that. But the treatment, people need to just suck it up. There is this idea that I don't think has been really sussed out that if you keep preventing acid production, that eventually you retrain the glands. Mm. Um, and so there's an idea in multiple species of like a rebound hyperacidity. Um, and we often will taper gas regard when we're treating to sort of avoid that and sort of like wean the patients off. Um, but I don't, there's not really a, a basis for that. It's just this idea of you're kind of trying, like you're, you know, trying to mm-hmm. let things resettle, renormalize, uh, because it is true. Absolutely. That you can retrain the body. And if you keep any animal on omeprazole, high doses of omeprazole for a long time, and then you pull it, I think like the body is like, oh my God, let me, you know, have a party. Right. So there is a universe where people are pretty avoidant or don't want to do it for the appropriate amount of time, Mm -hmm. you know, or really believe that they've done other things that have ruled that out. Like, given aloe. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not laughing. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Well, do things like aloe, and I remember talking to a woman that I was riding with who did, like the horse was diagnosed with ulcers. She did the full recommended, you know, she did the exact protocol that she was supposed to follow. So it's scoped, diagnosed, followed the protocol of drugs, and then was sort of deemed like, okay, you're fine now. You don't need to continue on the gastroguard. But then it was like, okay, now what as sort of like preventative post-ulcer kind of like protocol? But it was like, okay, now we're just trying to keep it not from having ulcers going forward. And she was giving it 
um, aloe and was saying like, oh yeah, this is really helping. Have you seen anything that sort of like, what do you do in that sort of post phase that you find does prevent it from getting it again? Or is there kind of nothing? Last I knew, Smart Gut was the only product that had shown research that it helped afterwards. Uh, but out, you know, and there recently, like there was a, a review that I read not very long ago of different supplements and things and, mm-hmm. um, nothing very exciting, but specifically some things like no, you know, no proven benefit. Most things, mm-hmm. no proven benefit. <laughs> I'm sure Smart Gut's the only one that's shown that specifically after ulcer treatment to then prevent relapse Hmm. the intestinal bacterial model um, has been carried out into a lot of inflammatory mediators Hmm. that then change everything (laughs) that continues to provide uh, thought you know for people and for animals or for people and then we we transfer it to our animals, right. even if we, it's not accurate. Right. I mean, there's right. a lot of that. Obviously, there's a lot of the. Oh, I gave it a tub. I gave it. I gave it one Prilosec. Oh, good. <laughs> Wait, people give a horse a, a Prilosec and think it's fine. Um. Or more small animals. No. Oh. There's a. There are. There are rumor mills and social circles and people who treat horses with human forms of omeprazole at shockingly low doses. (laughs) Oh no. You know, or just throw them, literally throw them a couple Tums. And I'm not knocking them. My horse is fine and I'm feeding it Tums. I'm just like, it's not going to tell you. It's not a diagnostic aid is all I'm saying. All of the other things that you're talking about in terms of like um, frequency and quality of food and levels of stress um, and access to water and kind of more continuous feeding rather than just like you get fed twice a day kind of thing. Can that be considered both sort of how you would complement a drug-based treatment program and also be sort of a preventative? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Ulcer guard is labeled for that. So there's the ulcer guard and the gastro guard, the brand right. names of the omeprazole, and I can use these because there are not alternatives yet that have any power behind them. Um, ulcer guard is the tube that is branded for the lower dose that is branded for prevention, and you know that's what we should be we should be using for show trailering anxiety prevention stressful blah blah blah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there are people in the horse world that show and do that and they do it a couple days before and a couple days after, and then we're fine. Does it show up on drug tests? It's not prohibited. It's not. Yeah, no, it's not prohibited. Um, it is helpful. As I started to hear of ulcers being more of a thing that you would might identify as like, oh, maybe we're concerned about ulcers now in the horse world. That seemed at least from my, like, again, lay person's perspective to be correlated with now all of a sudden we're not giving butte because there's this thing called ulcers and butte causes ulcers. So now we're going to stop giving butte because now we realize that ulcers are a lot more prevalent. So I, in my head thought that there was like, you know, a complete, yeah. no, you're not um, wrong. You're not wrong. You're absolutely right. 
um, but it still exists. And sometimes we use it because of finances and sometimes we use it because of a perception that because I mean, really, your alternative, your real only alternative is is Equiox. Mm-hmm. We still believe on some level that that Butte works better, mm-hmm. and so it's not uncommon to have a horse that's on Equiox having a more significant, you know, basically flaring through Equiox for some level of pain. And then getting swapped to Butte or Banamine as a stronger alternative. Um, and there are problems with, with that as well, with the swapping. But, I mean, it's a factor. And I think more and more we realize that anti-inflammatory use in the process of what causes ulcers in general and, heal, and you know changes healing in general, it's all a factor. But mm-hmm. there's no yes or no association. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you're talking about on some level is all of this data, like the the most uniform research population that we have is is racehorses. And a lot of data mm-hmm. comes out related to racehorses and started there. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, like nearing 90% of racehorses, right. at least at right. some point of their life, has gastric ulcers. But if you carry that out slowly over time into different populations, it's not that much better over the entirety of the horse population, or at least the performance horse population. Anti-inflammatories, sure. Do they encourage gastric ulcers? Yes. Do they sometimes cause severe colitis yes that is not nearly as common but it is a thing that you can have and people talk about hind gut ulcers a Mm -hmm. lot and i don't think what they are referencing is a real um erosion or like you know significant inflammation in the colon as like what we would write dorsal colitis is what we used to talk about as students and it's a bad, bad, big thing when it happens. Um, and that is not, you know, I think that is individual. That is like, sure, like maybe that's going to happen if you accidentally, you know, let your horse eat a tub of butte. Like, yeah, maybe, that, you know, we worry about <laughs> kidneys, but like, is that maybe going to cause colitis? Probably, maybe. But the it's more of an individual um, problem that you can't necessarily predict. Um, so that is like one of the bad side effects of the strong anti-inflammatories, namely Butte, uh, that that became like a big worry. I came out into a mentorship with someone who had done a lot of thoroughbred work, racetrack work, and that person was baffled <laughs> by the concern that, you know, like current students came out with about anti-inflammatories because really honestly it's true like what do you do if you don't have butte or if you don't have butte and banamine how on earth are you going to control horse pain right (laughs) you don't we don't have very good options you need to use those things and we all came out kind of terrified of them Mm -hmm. um and there are good reasons but the reality is that we have to use them and the reality is that horses for a very long time have succeeded and not you know died because those products were used right so it's almost a lot of trial and error and you see what you get 
And why use butte over banamine? I, I would say mostly cost. In some contexts, administration method, like yes, there's butte paste and there's banamine paste, but butte paste is not always consistently available and or you know some people can more easily medicate their horse with a pace than not um but yeah i mean there's just this there's i think again my opinion could be wrong but there's a a pretty consistent use of banamine for well yeah colic soft tissue pain short-term pain um, you know, like a, a allergic reaction to like a tick or something like that. Um, uh, but yeah, the soft tissue is a, is a big one. Fever, banamine right. versus chronic arthritic bony disease, butte. Hmm. And that has no basis in much of anything. <laughs> it's just, it's, okay. it's one of these things that is just what we do. There's a cost benefit analysis. You have to figure out like which one is worth the risk. And so with horses, you probably are thinking like, okay, there's possibility that this is going to cause an ulcer. But the problem that I'm dealing with right now is this horse is super lame and needs relief. In performance horses, the attitude towards that is often just give them the treatment, right? Like... It's, there are these two extremes and then sort of a middle, but as with most things in the horse world, there's like the middle is the weak, the weak section. Right. Anyway, I've kept you way long enough and you're finishing your wines. I don't know how to turn this freaking thing off. We're turning it off now. Thank you so much for listening to The Barn Yarn and we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Join us next time for more fun and engaging conversations with equine veterinarians. And check out our sponsor, Stable Select, at www.stableselect.com. Until next time, happy riding!